Yeah, we, uh, yeah, so for that, for those that, at Vintage, just to know if you're maybe new at Vintage or have not heard us talk about, but we, we are a, a church that believes in uh, our camps for our students, whether it's our, our, our elementary age students, whether it's our high schoolers. We believe that in camps that we invest into them. We believe that God moves in them. In fact, our church is here because over 50 years ago, one camp, which is, well, camp was now known as one camp, started. And there was such a move of God that, man, like people just began to move and see God move and experience the, the, the move of God's spirit. And, man, people just came alive for Jesus. And man, we just went after Jesus together, and and that camp brought about his church planting movement, all this type of stuff. And so, for us, we believe in camp. We believe in one camp. We believe in investing into our younger children in freestyle. And we would love for you to be a part of that. If you would like to be invested into it, connect with Ginger, and she'll talk to you about how to get connected and invested in freestyle. If you want to be a part of one camp, listen, we would love for every single adult here at Vintage to take that week off of work and to go and serve at one camp to be involved. There's, there's so many jobs. You can go be in a cabin with kids. You have responsibilities with games. So many things that you could do. So if you want to be part of one camp, if you want to be engaged, if you would love to serve, come ask Randall and I. We can tell you all about it and how to get connected and how to get plugged in and involved at one camp. But what we really want to say to you is if you have students, please send them. Sign up today for the Blitz Rate. Connect with them. And we have sign-ups for freestyle. Please make that happen. Connect with Dan the Man and Ginger. They can tell you all about it and get your kids plugged in. There's something that happens. If you remember, every single year we come back from one camp, we have our kids line up right here. We just talk about God's movement, talk about the things that God did, and to watch as the way that God's spirit moved in our, in our students' lives. It just infuses life into vintage. And so we would love for all of you to go and to be a part of that and to connect with one of these camps and plug in. And definitely at least, at the least, you are praying for our students and praying for our camps and praying for God's movement in all of those. With that, uh, Noah Moore, where's Noah Moore? Noah's right here. Noah, stand up real quick. Right, this is Noah Moore. Yeah, yeah, right here. Get up for Noah. Somebody clap for Noah real quick. Yeah, so this is Noah. Noah actually was a student here and part of the Vintage uh, Student Ministry. He's now at UGA. Go dogs! right? He's now at UGA, about to graduate. He's coming tonight to speak to our students. And so we'd love if you had students to bring them here, 6 o'clock to 7.30-ish. And Noah's going to be bringing the word. We've been talking this week. We did an Instagram Live on Monday. We killed it. I mean, we were so good, bro. It was amazing. Right? All of his friends are popping on. That guy's so good looking. So anyway, he is single. You can date him if you want to, if you're single. There you go. You can be seated, Noah. But yeah, but we love Noah, and yeah, we're super excited about tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so let's start here this morning uh, with a question. Again, my name is Steve Hambrick, lead pastor here at Vintage, and I'm glad that you were here. My question is for those who were here last week, or maybe you were watching online last week, and you were able to use the word quiver in a sentence this week, and you loved it. Anybody? Anybody? Any Brandle used it? Anybody? Thank you. There's Pat right here, right? Did you use it properly? I'm just wondering. So questionable for Pat. So anyway, but in this, the idea, we use the word quiver. and We're going to talk about it again this morning. You did not get a chance to use the word quiver this week in a sentence. As I said last week, it's one of my favorite words to use in a sentence. I always feel super fun and special when I use it, and you can too. So dive into it this week and use the sentence. Now, we're in a series called Jesus First. You see it behind me. You see it on both screens. And this is the theme of our series and the season that we're in, but it's also, and I want you to hear this, it's important. 
It's actually the theme for the entire year, what we feel God leading us to as an entire people here at Vintage, to be a people who put Jesus first. That means he's our priority. That means he has preeminence in our lives, and as in he is the most important thing that we talk about, we think about, that leads and guides everything in our life, and that Jesus is the winner, right? We think about, we think about someone being first, we think of him as being a winner, and the idea that in your life Jesus is a winner, that he wins over all the other things and distractions and ideas and thoughts and things that you can give yourself to in your life, that Jesus, his priority has preeminence, and he is the winner over all things in your life. We said that there, in this idea of keeping Jesus first, that there are actions. Everybody say actions. You know, actions are things that we are active with, right, that we give ourselves to. There are things that we undertake with our lives that when we do them, it helps us to keep Jesus first. We said these are spiritual disciplines, what I'm calling this season, Jesus first arrows, that when we learn them, we can place them into the container that holds our arrows, which is called a... Yeah, exactly. That's why we use the word quiver. You can take those arrows, those disciplines, and you can stick it into your quiver. So when you're in your life and you're wanting to have make Jesus priority in your day, you pull out one of these arrows from your quiver, an action that you give yourself to, that when you do it, it puts you into the presence of God. And just by being in his presence, you're transformed, and it continues to make Jesus be first in your life. So talking about these different actions that we give ourselves to, these different arrows we can pull out and shoot during our day to put us into the presence of God, be transformed and experience him. And so, and we said all of these arrows, all these disciplines, they're all equal in importance, right? Not one's not more holy than the other. One's not more important than another. All of them are vitally important. They're all gifts to us because in practicing them, putting them into practice, right, they put us into his presence. But some of them fit best in certain moments of your life. That's why we want to learn multiple, multiple disciplines and have multiple arrows in our quiver. What do you mean, Steve? Well, let's say you're in a season and you need wisdom, right? You need wisdom, you need to hear from the Lord, or you need to, to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Then what Mike talked about a couple of weeks ago, scripture reading, right? Giving yourself the time in God's word, because in it we learn, we hear his voice, right? We learn about his traits, we learn about his character and what's important to him. And so that as a discipline, an arrow that we can shoot is reading scripture that, so we can grow. Maybe you're in a place where, man, you're just, man, you're feeling pressed and you just need to communicate with God. You need to talk to God and you need to, you need to hear from God. Then you can engage the arrow and pull out the arrow of prayer, which is simply just communication with God. We're going to talk about it here in upcoming weeks. But last week we talked about a third arrow, again, it's called silence and solitude, a discipline of silence and solitude. And we said, maybe you find yourself completely frazzled in your mind, right? You've been pushing so hard, being trying to be productive and just doing and doing and doing. And you sit down to read the Bible and it's just mass jumble of words. Maybe you sit down to pray and you're so distracted by all the thoughts that are cascading and you can't even have a, you can't have a conversation with God. And we said in that type of moment, the practice of pulling out the arrow of silence and solitude is an unbelievable gift that you can give yourself to put you into God's presence and experience them. Because what happens in silence and solitude, we said, is, is you pull out from the busyness. You pull out from production. You pull out from the 
pressures that you have of culture around you telling to make things happen. And you say, I just want to pull away and be silent before God, sit by myself, and just let his presence wash over me. And we said in silence and solitude, the goal is to do nothing and to be productive in nothing except just be with him and allow yourself to slow down, to catch up to the speed that God is going, recognizing that because he's not bound by time in any form or fashion, God's never in a hurry. And in never being in a hurry, he has a specific rhythm. And he's moving, but he's not pressing, right? And he just says, follow me. He doesn't say, hurry up. And in that silence and solitude, all of a sudden we slow down. And then reading the Bible becomes possible. All of a sudden prayer becomes possible. And all of the things that we give ourselves to become possible. What I said last week is that in my personal conviction, and we don't need to argue about it, we could talk about it, right? Is that I think that this may be the most important discipline we give ourselves to in our culture, in our Western culture. Right, that it's that has a value of productivity of much and of manyness and of doing and being busy, right? And producing value by doing. And God says, Why don't you just sit with me and do nothing and produce peace so that my presence can overwhelm you? That, my friend, is the gift. And so in that practicing silence and solitude, it's just simply an arrow in your quiver. And I just said this week, practice this. See how it goes, right? Don't you you can't do it wrong. And you can't necessarily do it right because it's just all good, right? Jesus says, if you try, then it's going to be good and I'm going to show up, right? That's just how he works. It's just the nature of his grace and his love for us. And so this morning, I want to add now another arrow to your quiver. There's lots of arrows that we can create. There's a big, long book I have. I'd love to show it to you on the spiritual disciplines. It's super practical, right? And it just talks about these pieces. And this morning, I want to help add to your quiver the arrow of practicing the presence of Jesus or practicing the presence of of God this morning. So go ahead and put it on the screen for me, practicing the presence of Jesus, practicing the presence of God. So definition, just simply defined, it's this. The act of being present to God throughout the day, knowing that he is present with us at all times in everything that we are doing. So let the word sink in. It's the act, like our act of being present to God. Like, you know what that means, right? So I always give Randall a hard time. Like, we're in conversation, and I'm talking to her, and she's on her phone, and she's present but not really present with me. Anybody else feel that way, feel that way right? I do that to her also. We all do it to everybody in the culture in which we live. We are present with somebody but not really present. So we're talking about the act of, like, putting our spiritual phones down and being present fully to God throughout the day knowing that he is present with us at all times in everything that we are doing, the idea in every activity, whether it's large or super small, super important or really mundane, every activity in which you are engaged, we remember that God is present and we present ourselves to him. We offer our heart to him at all times in our life and it's important to recognize when i say the word practice the presence i mean to carry out or to perform an act as in as in a doctor practices medicine 
right? It's what they give themselves to is the primary act of their life. It's the practice. They're like practicing what we preach. I put into action the things that I say that I believe. I put into action my lifestyle of putting myself in the presence of God and being present to him. This is the idea. It's something that we literally practice, give ourselves to, and that we choose as an arrow from our quiver in the context of our lives. And so I look at it and say, I don't know about you, but there is a reality of our lives that we may know God is near to us, but we have not experienced what I would call his manifest presence in our lives, where we actually experience his love, where we actually engage his joy, where we actually are aware of physically and mentally and emotionally his peace and love and joy and kindness, right? Where I live in my moment where like I'm with Randall and we, I'm present with her and she's present with me and we actually enjoy one another. There's a huge difference between me sitting her presence in a room and knowing she's there and actually engaging her, enjoying her, and enjoying the experience of being with her. And so the idea for so many of us is that we we know God's near, but we're not experiencing his manifest presence. And that's what I'm talking about. As in manifest, all I mean by that is that he's just, we're experiencing it, right? I can know it here, or I can experience it when it's manifest to me. It comes alive in my life. And so that's what we're going to talk about. This phrase, the practicing the presence of God, actually was coined by and birthed from a monk who lived in France in the 1600s. His birth name was Nicholas Herman, but history remembers him by another name, Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence, I would encourage all of you to go read his book called Practicing the Presence of God. It was a guy came in and said, there's something unique about your life. And the way that you do your life, there's something powerful about how you spend time with God I've never seen before. Can I come just do a bunch of Q&A with you, and you can just give me an explanation of what your life looks like? And he's like, as long as you don't exploit it or use it for your personal gain, but it's for the, actually for the birth of, of Jesus and the lives of the people, then yes, he said, that's what it's for. He said, yes, you can come do a Q&A with me. And so what we get of the practice in the presence, honestly, was this one man's, like, journey into the presence of God with the attempt to commune with and enjoy God and keep him first in his life. So we're going to talk about that this morning, what he looked like, what his life, how he practiced it. But as a young man, he came to Christ one day. He was sitting outside, and it was just brutally cold, one of those, like, really snowy afternoons in France. And he looks at that barren tree just right there in front of him in the yard. And he says, I looked at the tree. I recognized it was barren. I recognized it was leafless right? And I was, as I was gazing at the tree and just recognized as God made me aware of the moment of the power of his grace and the power of his love, right? Like the trees that all of a sudden God revealed to me where I recognized myself as being seemingly dead, but I knew supernaturally in the same moment that God had life waiting for me as in the turn of the seasons God would bring fruit to this tree. He would bring fruit of full into my life. And he said, at that moment, he said, the leafless tree first flashed in upon my soul the fact that God was living and breathing. And it shone on me that God loved me. And from that moment forward, I never ceased to love him. Nicholas Herman, a.k.a. Brother Lawrence. 
He came into the monastery because when he went off to war after giving his life to Jesus, went off to war because he was living in abject poverty and they had meals three times a day and they gave him a small stipend. So he went into the army while there he got injured and came back, said, I'm not really useless in anything else in life. So I will go into the monastery and devote the rest of my life to God. So somewhere for about 60, 55 to 60 years, he lived in the monastery in Paris, France, and just devoted his life to God. And devoted a specific lifestyle of pursuit of God, excuse me, of God called practicing the presence of God. Now, with this practicing the presence of God, it was that, again, the description uh, given to his lifestyle and the pursuit that he gave himself to in going after Jesus. He said this in his life, that his one desire, his one desire, the overarching theme of his life was communion with God and that he endeavored constantly to walk in his presence. He said of spiritual practices that he had read all about the different practice of going after God, but thought they would confuse him if he tried to get all of them to understand him, rather than just facilitate what he sought after, which was nothing more than how to become holy God. So what he's saying is, like, here's the deal. He was a simple man with a simple mind. He said, there's all these things they talk about in the monastery and all these practices we can give ourselves to, all these things they call us to do. And I thought to myself, those just honestly confuse me. Can't I just live every day living and breathing in the presence of God and enjoy him and he can enjoy me? And everything that I do, we just are together and that's my communion. And so that's what he did for 60 years. He just communed with God. He said, again, so in that, again, he says, for spiritual practices, he read all of them. They confused him, right? So he said, men invent means. I think this is on the screen for us. He said, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules, and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble. This seems difficult to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence Yet I think it makes me more simple than this. Is it not just quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of God? And what he's saying is this, like in our world, we've got to have a quiet time in the morning, show our love for God and connect with him because that's what we do. And he said, why? Why don't you just have your whole day be a quiet time of everything you do, being present before God and enjoying him in the process? This is one big quiet time. Just be aware of his presence. Everywhere you go, he's with you. You invited him in, and he's always, he's always inviting you, and you just enjoy him. You engage him. He was talking about living aware of God's presence in every moment of life and in every one of his actions. His job, his job in the monastery, he was just a, quote-unquote, lowly kitchen aide. Here's this guy whose life is preaching to us 400 years later, and he wasn't honestly that important. Like in the Catholic world and that, that world, he was not really a man of importance or a man of means. He didn't really make a name for himself, except that he loved God and people knew that, right? But just loved God, right? No, he loves God. He's just preaching to us today, living aware of God's presence at every moment and every one of his actions. And talking about his lifestyle of living in and submitted to God's presence, he said this. It's on the screen. It isn't needful that we should have only great things to do, which is when we primarily think about serving God. We can do little things for God. He's sitting there basically in the morning making pancakes. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for my love for him, being present with him and his presence with me. 
And once I've done that, if nothing there is, nothing else there is calling to me, well, I'll just prostrate myself and worship before him, doing nothing except enjoying his presence, right? This God who is giving me grace to work, and afterwards, of being in his presence, I arise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for my love for God. Basically, he's saying, even in this moment, even if I'm just picking up a straw from the ground, ah, just experience the love of God because I know I'm doing it with him, and I'm doing it for him. Brother Lawrence was a simple man with a simple lifestyle that brought about richness in his Jesus-first life. He gave himself to a life of never-ending awareness of God's presence in all things in life, aware of God's presence in every activity he was undertaking. And this is the important thing. He said sometimes, sometimes it felt easy. He said other times, even without all the distractions that we face in the 21st century, he would say it was hard. Because of the difficulties of life, because of how I felt in the moment, the difficulties maybe in relationships with people, maybe just something that I just was not enjoying in the physical in the moment. He said sometimes it was easy and sometimes it was hard, but in that there was always the devotion of giving myself to his presence and me being present to him. The scripture that anchors this lifestyle of Brother Lawrence is probably familiar to you. It's Psalm 139. Psalm 139. In it, David is writing a song about the imminent presence of God. That always around us, always engaged presence of God in our lives. Imminent. It's near to us. It's present. It's involved in our life. I want you to listen and follow along on the screen or in your Bible as I read, starting in verse 1 of chapter of, of Psalm 100. In 39, just go to the center of your Bible and somewhere around there, Psalm 139. David writing, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. Right? He's present with David, knowing everything going on in his life. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all of my ways. This is crazy. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind to protect me. You hem me in before to protect me. And you lay your hand upon me in protection. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot, I cannot get my head around how amazing this is. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I even flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven is one extreme, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in hell, the other extreme, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and fly away and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Skip down to verse 15. My frame, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, when I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth, before even coming into my mommy's belly, I'm adding, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none. And then he comes down to the end, verse 23, and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
David present to God and experiencing his manifest presence in the moment. And he says, it's just too good for me. I can't get my head around it. In David's thoughts and convictions about God's presence, I hear the heart and language of Brother Lawrence, right? Taking both into account, I just want to kind of build a couple of ideas for you as you process pulling that arrow from your quiver and practicing the presence of God in your life. First, there was a conviction of God's imminent presence, a conviction of God's imminent presence. We can't practice God's presence. We can't give ourselves to the action of God's presence if we don't actually believe that he's with us. Like, that's super simple, but it's so important. Do you live with the conviction that no matter what happens, no matter what you do, when you're in your holiest moments or when you are in your most wretched and sinful moments, that God is with you in all of them? Maybe not condoning everything, but he's with you. He's aware, he's present, and he's engaged. David in Psalm 139 paints a picture again of a theology that's foundational to all of Scripture, that God is present in all of his creation, and he's present to us at all times and all things. Again, just looking at David's language, it's not on the screen. I want you to just listen to it. it says, he says to God, God, you, you know when I sit, and you know when I rise up. You discern all of my thoughts from afar. There's nothing that goes on that your present isn't engaged in in some form or fashion. This is crazy, right? He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Literally, where can I flee from your presence? He goes, he's creating in his own mind the two greatest extremes he can imagine. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the very pit of hell, you are there. If I try to flee from your presence... And I ascend on all these places and I go all the way over here, this to the furthest extreme. Even there, you're already present and your hand is guiding me and you are leading me in the moment. And he goes, even in my mother's womb, before I was even really anything but a thought in your mind, you already knew me, you were already gauged, you were already present with all of my thoughts and all of my actions, and you already written them down in a book somewhere. That's crazy to me, right? And you know them all. Does that seem like a God who is present with us? And David's just naming, again, a theology of universal presence or in imminent presence that at all times you are as near and as far from God as you'll ever be for the rest of your life because he is present with you. God never, like when we say, God, you're just so far away, he goes, no, I'm not in right here. He can never be far away from us. His presence is never distant from us. It's always with us. We, his imminent presence is always near. We may not be manifest and experiencing it, but his presence is always near. And we have to live with the conviction, a conviction of God's imminent presence. Second, we have to have a conviction that God's imminent presence is good news. That God's imminent presence is good news. David said about it in verse 6, I've already named it twice, he says, such knowledge of God's nearness, his imminent presence, it's just too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot contain, I just cannot get my head around it. Brother Lawrence said about, their, about spending time in his presence, he says, I spend time in his presence and afterwards I rise happier than a king. And if I'm walking and I pick up a straw from the ground, it's for the love of God because he's so for me. I just enjoy him as I do it because his presence is always with me. 
I'm afraid, and I want you to hear this phrase, I hope it makes sense. I'm afraid that we've built up for ourselves an unhealthy, this is important, this is the challenge for us. I'm afraid we've built up for ourselves an unhealthy familiarity with an unbiblical, lifeless presence of God in our lives. I'll say that again. I'm afraid we've built up for ourselves an unhealthy familiarity with an unbiblical, lifeless presence of God in our lives. Like we, quote unquote, know God is near, but we don't live like it's true. and We don't we definitely don't live like it's good, meaning that we have not interacted with the real life giving overwhelming presence of God as described and experienced by David in the Psalms or believed and experienced by Brother Lawrence. Where are you with understanding of the presence of God? Is it something that's just, yeah, it's, he's there, but it's distant, disconnected, it's cold to you and seemingly distant, or is it life-giving? With that in mind, the, the third piece is that each of us are invited to practice the presence of God. That's the model. Like David, David shows it because he wants us to experience it. Brother Lawrence experiences this. He's a man just like us. In fact, most of us in this room were probably more capable and much smarter than him, right? Like maybe complex things were a little bit easier for you, but they weren't for him. He's like, I'm just a simple man. This seems more simple. Brother, I'm trying to do all this stuff. I just want to be with God 24-7 and love him, be challenged by by him, be shaped by him, and just enjoy his presence. It's hard sometimes, but most of the time it's good because I just love him and he loves me. We each get to practice the presence of God. David ended his psalm with an interesting prayer. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, look in and just be honest with me. Try me and see me and know my thoughts. And see, is there any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? David's prayer was basically coming and saying, listen, your presence is so good. And I mean, and I know it. And I'm experiencing it. I know it's imminent and I know it's manifest for me. And anything that's going to keep me from living in that reality and anything I give myself to in my mind, that's grievous and going to steal that understanding. God, would you convict me of it and would you remove it so that I have no barrier between me and you coming to you? And loving you and experiencing and being in your presence. Because it's so good. It's just so much. I can't even get my head around. It has to define my life. The imminent presence that's always there and his manifest presence in our lives. Brother Lawrence was the same way. He gave himself constantly just to walk in his presence. Again, practicing the presence is an action that we give ourselves to, a lifestyle that we can embrace. And in moments where God seems far off and removed, practicing his presence is the arrow we take out of our quiver and we shoot. A discipline that we are welcome to embrace. And when we do, when we do it, whether it feels like we're doing it great or not, it doesn't matter. I don't know about you, but when my kids were terrible at things... I would just tell them they were great and do it with them anyway. My kids were the worst hide-and-seek players in the history of the world, right? And I would sit there and pretend like I never saw them to make them build them up and their ability to play the game and have a better identity about themselves, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And God says, whether you're good at practicing my presence or terrible at it, it's just going to be amazing that you chose me. 
that you responded to me choosing you, and that you then responded me in you responded by choosing me in return. That's a beautiful piece I want you to recognize this morning. That God is always wooing you and calling you to Himself. It's a gift of His grace. Whenever you start, when, listen, whenever you pull an arrow out from your quiver and give yourself to do anything to put yourself in God's presence, it wasn't your thought. It was God's voice calling you every single time, wooing you, say, hey, do you want to come play? Do you want to come hang out? Hey, won't you come be with me? Do you want to come hang out and be with me and talk about life? Do you want to bring those heavy things that you're carrying and put them in my hands and let me carry them with you and for you? Hey, do you want me to come into your life in the middle of all of a sudden the stuff that's just distracting you at work and seemingly so big and your life seemingly is miserable and just come and be with me and do nothing and enjoy my presence and trust that I will be moving in your life? I'm wooing you to myself. Every moment of longing that you have to be with him and ask him to do something, he put the desire there in the first place because he knows it's what you need for life it's beautiful and it's rich have you ever read the pursuit of god by aw tozer you may read that book it's my uh, top three book ever in life i try to read it at least once a year if i can i don't do that but i try to right at least three sections of it pursuit of god by aw tozer you need to read it it's powerful prophetic word i think for every generation since the 60s he says this in a chapter on the universal presence of god the imminent presence he says this let me say this this is his whole summation of his chapter he says let us on the screen let us say it again the universal or imminent presence it is a fact god is here Now, the whole universe is alive with his life, right? And he is no stranger, foreign God that we're talking about, but he's the familiar father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose love has for these thousands of years enfolded and protected even the sinful race of men, hoping with patience to wait for them to return is his mindset, right? And always he is trying to get our attention. He's always wooing us. He's always calling to us, trying to get our attention to reveal himself to us, to communicate with us. We have within us, every single one of us, the ability to know him if we will but respond to his overtures of wooing and of calling. And this response to God, that's what we call pursuing God. We pursue because he first pursued us. We pursue because he's always calling us. We pursue because we're responding to his call to us is his mindset. We will know him in increasing degree as our receptivity, we receive what he has to say, becomes more perfect by faith and love and practice. The presence of God is always available. It's at our fingertips. It's to be enjoyed and to be experienced. He's always present. He's always imminent. It's universal. Wherever we go, God's already there. He is present. He's never far from us. And as we, as we respond to his wooing and receptive to it, and we give ourselves to pulling out whatever the arrow is from our quiver, and we get in, he says, I want to make my presence manifest so you experience all the traits that define me and all the fruit that I promise to give to you. God is always present with us wherever we go and whatever we do. And we, like Brother Lawrence, now want to be present with him. We want to respond. 
God is always inviting us again to invite us to experience his presence, wooing us to himself by grace. We have an urn trying to get our attention to reveal himself to us. His presence is always with us. But as we give ourselves to pursuing him, practicing his presence, responding to his wooing, his presence becomes manifest. We see it and we experience it like David and like Brother Lawrence. And we too can say, This is too good and so high. Just can't get my head around it. Listen, I want this for you. I believe God wants this for you. But I'd be completely honest. I believe God wants it for our whole body at Vintage, our church. Because let me tell you something. When you give yourself to God like this and experience him, do you know all of a sudden who is drawn to you like a moth to a flame? Every single other person who's dying in need of what you have, and it's Jesus. Whether they are unbelievers or believers who are just dying, cold death, separated from community, he says, just come and burn for Jesus so that everyone will be drawn to Jesus in you. That's what I long for. I'm not just longing for it in a very selfish way so I can feel better about my life and enjoy it more and have greater happiness, which is an American mindset of spirituality. No, I want to experience God in his fullness and experience the love that he has for me and experience it in a powerful way so that I can look at others and say, it's available to you too. And I want to share everything that I have with you and in fact teach you how to do it. Smith Wigglesworth once said, you don't know him, another one of those great men of God, just all literally thousands of people miraculously healed. Like, watch, you pray for, this is crazy, I don't know, I'm telling you the story, but he would pray for people with cancer and tumors would just fall out of their bodies. Crazy stuff, right? 1945, like to 1960-something. Crazy guy, right? But he said one time, these two guys came to him, said, there's something about your spiritual life. I don't know what it is. Two guys, we want to, we want to come and be with you as you're pulling a quiver out and spending time with Jesus, right? And he looked and said, ooh, I'm not sure you can handle it. I'm like, what do you mean? I just don't know if you can, I don't know if you can handle it. He's like, oh, no, no, we can handle anything, man. We can handle anything. He said, I'm just telling you. Goes in, responds to the woo of God, and begins to just be with the Lord. And he said, and he said, the manifest presence of God was so thick in the room these boys had never experienced it. It was too much for them, and they literally had to crawl out of the room on their hands and knees because the power and glory of God was just so strong they couldn't physically handle it. Here's the deal. That does not define my life, right? You can come be in my time with Jesus, and it probably won't feel like that. But I will tell you, that's hashtag goals for me. If I don't set a goal for what I want out of my spiritual life, it will always be mundane and boring. I'm like, God, that's not me, and I would love for it to be. I would love to invite Graham and say, bro, I dare you to come hang out with Jesus with me. It's like, let's do it, man, and let's just see what happens. So hashtag goal for me. I'm like, God's what I long for out of my understanding of your intimacy with the Lord. So that's the invitation, guys. That's another one of the arrows in your quiver. I, I look at this and go, I think practicing the presence may be kind of a foundational for all the other eras, all the other disciplines. It's like, what does it mean? Like, well, I'm just going to live in the presence of God and be present to God every day. You know what that means? It's a huge difference. Our mindset is I want the presence of God for myself because it makes me feel better. 
The holistic piece is then to be present back to God so that he has all of me, right, so that it's a give and take. I don't know if you know, but that's what relationships are all about. At least mine is in my marriage. And so I invite you to that with the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go into a time of ministry and of worship. Father, you are good. I thank you for those who are here and those who are watching online, whether it's today or sometime in the future. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would make us aware that your presence is with us, your imminent presence wherever we go. You're already there, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's we're doing these things in our life that are just difficult or the things that are easy, the things that are enjoyable, the things that are questionable around sin or the things that are ultimately sinful. God, in those moments, you are there with us and you were either like person. You're always pursuing us, whether inviting us to yourself, inviting us to conviction, inviting us to experience your fullness, whatever it may be. And this morning, I pray, Jesus, as we talk about being a people who put Jesus first, Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us this longing. We would recognize, oh, God has placed a longing inside of me to be with them. He is wooing me to his manifest presence. He wants to reveal himself to me. He wants to pour out his love. And in response, then I want to give my life and every action to honor him, whether it's big or small, and just to be present with him. We just confess and say, Jesus, it's hard. This lifestyle is really hard for us. It's really hard for me. I just confess that I want it to be less hard, and I want to be better at it. So Jesus, come today. Come and have your way. We know that you're present, so coming doesn't mean you're super far away and coming through a door to be with us. You're already present. What we mean by coming is that you would awaken us to your manifest presence. We begin to experience what is already true and surrounding us every day of our life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we end this morning, there's always communion available. Communion is the act of remembering the love of Jesus poured out, his body broken, blood poured out. But as we take it, there's a, a grace. It's always an invitation to remember who he is and to call us back to, to himself in fullness. We have ministry teams that will be available on both sides because we just believe in praying for those who have need in our body. We believe in giving opportunity for you to respond by getting someone to come along and pray with you because maybe it's just too hard to pray for yourself. You just need help. When it comes to the altar, it's always available just to come and lay things down at the feet of Jesus. Come on, welcome, do it in your seat. Let us invite you as we are in worship today with Aaron in this time. Would you invite Jesus to have his way in your life? Maybe you, what I like to do in practicing the presence is I come before God in my mind. I'm carrying the heaviest thing in my life. And I come in and I sit long enough till I become aware of his presence. And as soon as I'm aware of some type of his presence, I go, here, take it. It's just too much for me. I cannot hold it any longer. Help me. Maybe that's you this morning. I do that every, almost every day, but almost every day of every week. I bring something to God saying, Whew, it's just too much right now. I'm, my mind's beginning to spin and spiral, God. Oh, I just need you to take it. Thank you that you're with me to do it. So whatever it looks like for you. So you respond to the Lord, leads. I'll come and pray us out in a few minutes. And, uh, but engage and respond to the Lord, leads.